Welcome to another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yalbron, lead pastor of One Community Church located in El Dorado, Arkansas. For information about the ministry of Pastor Jason or One Community Church, please visit our website at occeldorado.com. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching One Community Church El Dorado. Well, guys, I am so excited, and I don't want to waste any more time. I want to make sure that he has ample time, but um, we're just honored today to have Mike and Jeannie Coleman with us. Uh, Brother Mike has uh, become a mentor, uh, he and his wife, to my wife and I. Uh, One of our highlights of our month every month is getting to visit with Mike and Jeannie Coleman, and we just so love them and appreciate them, and they're such uh, dear people to our hearts. And uh, Brother Mike, of course, was with Integrity Music there and got a crazy resume, a crazy story. Uh, And he's going to come today and and share a little bit about a new nonprofit that they have called IBOW, uh, International Bridges of Worship. He's going to share briefly about that, and then he's going to go into a powerful sermon. And I want you to be blessed, but what I want you to do today, would you stand to your feet one more time, and let's give Brother Mike Coleman an OCC welcome. Come on, church. Let's welcome him as he comes forward today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Everybody doing okay? It's good to be back. The last time I was here was uh, October 4th, 2021. The reason I, actually October, yeah, October 4th. The reason I remember that is my wife had had an accident and uh, was actually in a hospital for over two weeks and then two months in a nursing home in recovery. And uh, Jeannie, would you stand up, please? This is my wife of 48 years. She is a walking miracle, as am I. If you heard our stories, you'd go, wow, it's amazing you guys are even here. Um, we've, been in the mountain, we've been on mountaintops and we've been in the valleys, and uh, I could tell you a few stories and tell you I got the T-shirt and I know where the address is of what we've experienced. <laughs> but the Lord has been so amazing and has, uh, has raised us up. So I left here uh, in 2021 and went back to Dallas and picked her up from the nursing home the next day. So for all of those of you who knew about her story and prayed for her, I wanted to say thank you before I do anything else. Uh, I wanted to uh, share something that came to me during worship, and it'll be brief. Um, you, You know the gospel, though, is the everlasting gospel, right? Some of you didn't get that. You'll get it next Thursday. <clears throat> I'm not going to go forever. I'm just kidding. Um, someone is here, I think it's probably several people, and you've been seeking God for a miracle, and you've been holding on, and you've been wondering, how in the world will I ever get through this situation? And I wanted to just give you a word of encouragement. When the women went to see Jesus' tomb the next day, They were saying among themselves, who's going to roll the stone away? They didn't know that God had already moved. They just needed to keep going to see the miracle. They could have stayed home and kept asking, who's going to roll the stone away? So the word for you today is, 
the miracles ahead of you don't stop. Don't stop believing and don't stop moving forward. Don't quit and just get caught up in your questions. Because in your case, the stone may have already been rolled away and you'd have never even known it. You understand? Okay, so that's for free. That's not my notes. Uh, Pastor Jason asked me to share briefly about this new nonprofit. It's uh, a ministry that we have had a number of years called International Bridges of Worship. And if you take the first four letters of those words, it's IBOW. And IBOW.org is the website. So here's the short version. Of the body of Christ in the world, how many believers are in the English-speaking world versus non-English-speaking world? The majority are in the non-English-speaking world. In China, probably has the largest real church in the world. Okay. Um, Iran has the fastest growing house church in the world, 85 million population. Most of the population is under 30 years of age. It's not what you see on television with the mullahs and the big beards. Uh, in Iran, there's a move of God going on, people sharing their faith. It's incredible. It's miraculous. There are at least a million believers in Iran, maybe two million. It's the fastest growing house church movement in the world because they can't meet publicly. It's against the law. So I spent over 24 years leading Integrity Music, helping to get worship in English out, and then helping to get some other languages developed in worship. And now what this nonprofit is doing is focusing on language and people groups of believers who don't have a real vital expression of worship in their own language. So if you could speak Spanish, but you're a native English speaker, which one would you pray in? This is not a trick question. If you're, if you're a native English speaker and you can speak Spanish, which one would you pray in? English. If you're a Farsi speaker, which is what they speak in Iran, but you're singing translated songs from English, you're not gonna get the full meaning of the original English song. You need to have songs written in your language from believers that are in your culture. So listen to this, and I've surveyed a lot of different places in the world. 90% of the songs that our brothers and sisters sing that don't speak English are singing songs written out of our culture, our experience, and in our language, and they're translated. 90%. I read in the book of Revelation, at the end, it's every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue before the Lamb worshiping Him on the throne. So what we're, what we're working on with IBOW is to help Iranian believers, we're starting to do some work with Israelis, although the Israeli believers are much further along, and there are other countries like China. I thought we'd start with three easy ones. <laughs> and uh, so we're in the midst of raising funds, and we're, we just had a team in Turkey interviewing Iranian believers there. It's really amazing what God's doing. It's really amazing what's God, I mean, it's just incredible. So that's, that's a little bit about what IBOW uh, is doing. Uh, today, I want to share something with you that has been a journey for me. And I'm going to make it simple, but it's, it's so profound. I feel like a guy that's sitting at the buffet, and there's like a 20-pound roast there. 
and I'm trying to figure out how to carve it up and make sandwiches where you can digest it. <laughs> so pray for me, would you? I'm gonna pray right now. Lord, we thank you for this, this opportunity to be with your people. And you know, Lord, what we all need. And I pray that I'd get out of the way and that you'd move and do what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to make this uh, a really practical word. I like to take things that are in the scripture and then get it where we can apply it in our daily lives. At first, you're going to wonder if I'm doing that, but I really am going to do that. You just have to stay with me. I have to build a few things in our understanding, and then from there you can see how it applies, okay? Does that make sense? Everybody doing all right? Thank you. Remember, I'm that guy that will ask you, are you doing all right? And I try not to do it, but I do it anyway, so. I wanna talk to you today about the threshing floor, the altar, and the presence of God. The threshing floor, the altar, and the presence of God. I don't know where all you are in your journey with the Lord, but I'm sensing a growing hunger among believers in this nation to see God move. That it not be religious, that it not be fake, that it be really the power of God transforming lives. In March 2020, I had an interesting experience. I, was, uh, I woke up one morning and all I got was this phrase, Red River Rising. Red River Rising. And I thought, what in the world does that mean? I wasn't thinking about it, I hadn't dreamed about it, anything. I just woke up, that phrase is on my mind. Well, I could tell the Holy Spirit was talking to me, but I wasn't sure what he was saying. It wasn't like he said, Red River Rising, here are the three points, here are the five things you do, boom. It wasn't like that. It was like, all I got was Red I just got the title, Red River Rising. So I started thinking, well, is this a natural disaster that's going to happen at Red River? And then I started thinking, well, where are all the Red Rivers? So I found there's a Red River in Cambodia. There's a Red River, Oklahoma border in Texas, and we crossed it coming here. Uh, I thought, no, that's not it. And then, in doing research, so this is, this is my curiosity gift. How many of you have a curiosity gift? like to learn. Okay, this is my curiosity gift. I'm like, okay, what is this? And I start researching it, and I come across a guy named James McCready. James McCready, Presbyterian minister in the late 1700s. He's preaching in North Carolina. He's preaching a fiery, powerful word, stirs up stuff in the city. They don't like it. They come in, and they paint blood over the pulpit, and they start attacking him. God leads him to Logan County, Kentucky, which is in southern Kentucky, just above the Tennessee northern border. And he goes to three little churches, and one's called Red River Meeting House. In this place, it's called Satan's Stronghold, literally. That was what it was known as. Now, this is frontier time. This is 1797, 1798. This is just after the nation's been formed, and he goes there, and each, he had three little houses of ministry he'd go to, churches, 20 members each. For two years, he ministered there, nothing happened. But he did get the people to begin to pray every Saturday night, and then one Saturday a month, they'd come together and pray all day, and they would fast. He then um, decided to call a, a five-day communion service. I'd never heard of such a thing. 
a five-day communion service. Now, this is back when horseback, you know, horse-drawn carriages and wagons. And he um, calls this service. People come from uh, like 150 miles around. All these people start coming out into this field. And the power of God starts moving among them. And I found the accounts, the stories of what God did, and I was reading them to my wife, Jeannie, and we were both just weeping. You know, seven-year-old kids coming to the Lord, crying out to the Lord, and His presence touching them. People that were known as the hellraisers in the town and the, the, had no religion, no concept of Christianity. The Lord was touching them. They were getting saved. This became the birth of the Second Great Awakening of the United States. Because from here, it went to the Cane Ridge Revival, and it started spreading. Now, how many of you have heard of Asbury University and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit just happened? That is two hours away from where this happened that I'm talking about. Okay? So, here's what I believe. I believe we're going to see the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we've ever seen. Okay? And, but there's a process that we go through to be in a place for God to do that with us and to touch others through us. So my, my message today is really, hopefully, to help you understand the process better because sometimes it's a little confusing. Well, I forgot, you guys got it all figured out. I'm the one, I'm the one that found out that it was a little confusing. <laughs> You've never gotten frustrated with God, I'm sure. But trying to figure out what's going on in your life when you've cried out to God and said, Lord, I want to be closer to you. And then stuff starts happening that you didn't expect would happen. Hello? <laughs> you guys been there? Yeah, I, I, I have. So this massive revival happens in the late 1700s. Goes on to be the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening changed the culture of the United States, influenced laws, and set up a whole foundation in the culture and society to become the nation that it became in the 1800s. And it still has influence to this day. Started with a guy with 20 people at the Red River Meeting House in Satan's stronghold. Okay. So where grace, where, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. <clears throat> so I'm going to share with you three things, and I'm going to give you a code, okay? All right, so I want you to do, put, put three fingers up. This is going to be real complicated. There are no trick questions, all right? Three fingers. Everybody got three fingers? Some of you got fingers like this. Three fingers. Three fingers, Okay. I want you to go tap, tap, tap. One, two, three. One, two, three. Three fingers. Okay, the first one, I'll tell you what they are. Threshing floor, altar, presence of God. Tap, tap, tap. I'm giving you a code. So when you see each other at the restaurant, you don't even have to say anything. You go. It's your secret code. You got a secret code. Threshing floor, altar, presence of God, tap, tap, tap. Can we do that? Threshing floor, altar, presence of God, tap, tap, tap. One more time. Threshing floor, altar, presence of God, tap, tap, tap. Most of you got it. 
the rest of you again next Thursday. Thursday's going to be a big day. Okay. <laughs> I'm already having fun. So, <clears throat> it's on the screen, but this is one of the things that really impacted me when the Lord showed me this. When you see judgment happening around you, don't get discouraged. Harvest is coming. In the scriptures, and I could give you many examples, I'm going to give you one today. Harvest and judgment happen at the same time. They happen simultaneously. When the darkness gets darker, the light gets lighter. There's going to be more and more distinction between right and wrong. We're seeing that in our society. And the temptation is to study the judgment. Doesn't take much to get online and study the judgment. <laughs> to see what's wrong. But what I want to encourage you with, one of the principles is look to the Lord and the harvest. Don't get caught up studying the judgment because you'll get yourself discouraged. All right. Let's put up the picture of the threshing floor. Now, some of you may be aware of this, but just as an illustration, the threshing floor is a place of transition. Any of you been in transition lately where you've gone through a few changes and then all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, there are more changes happening. Oh my gosh, I'm in, I'm in a whole new direction now. Transition comes through a series of changes designed to get you to move in a new direction. Threshing floor is a place of transition. See the horse and the, the guy driving it and he's standing on something. I'm going to show you what he's standing on in just a moment. There's a, a fork, and then there's a sieve, those three elements. Can you show those pictures, please? I want to show you. This, this is what would be used if, grain was, if wheat was harvested, for example. That board with those stones embedded in it would be laid down on the grain. A person would stand on it, and the horse would pull them around and the grain would be pulverized until it released from the stalk. The fork is used for winnowing. Any of you had a lot of ups and downs lately and wondered what is going on? Like, I'm going good, this is good, now I'm going down, now I'm going good, now I'm going down. I was talking to my pastor one time and I was, I was really going through a hard time. I was leading integrity music. And I was having, this is great, this is terrible, this is great, this is terrible, this is great. And I was talking to him at lunch one day, and, uh, and I said, this just keeps going up and down and up and down. He looked at me and he said, you're just being sifted, Mike. I thought to myself, I told him this later, thanks a lot. <laughs> I wanted like a comforting word. <laughs> you're like, pray for me, you know. And he did, he prayed. He's, we've been friends for over 40 years. But sifting is when you're, you get picked up and thrown up into the air and the wind blows you around and it feels all kinds of disorienting and all this chaff's getting blown off of you and then you fall down again. Then you get picked up, thrown up in the air, 
Mike, that's really good preaching. You get picked up and you get thrown up in the air and the wind blows you and the chaff. Okay. Let's show that picture. If you're the wheat, are you having a wild ride? It's a moving experience. God, I want you to move in my life. (laughs) It can be disorienting when you're being thrown in the air and the wind's blowing around. One of the things about transition that I found is as you go into it, a few things start happening. You don't really know you're in transition. As you start going down into this valley, you can tell something's really changing and then suddenly you realize a whole bunch of stuff's changed and then you get in the bottom of the valley and you can't go back to the past because it doesn't exist. But you can't see clearly to get into the future. And you're trying to get into the future but you feel stuck. And the way I say it is you're firmly planted in midair. You're firmly planted in midair. Now let's show the next one. There should be one more with the sieve. I don't know if you have that one. Anyway, it's okay. It's a place of sorting and sifting. So the threshing floor is a place of sorting and sifting. It's a place of transition. Everybody got that? I'm just, I'm building, I got to build this up a little bit and then we're going to get to how it applies, okay? Let's go ahead and read 1 Chronicles chapter 21. You should have slides for that. Thank you. Now, let me set the context for this. A pandemic has hit Israel. It's because David numbered the people. It turns out that there was in the law of Moses a law that said if you ever number the people, you have to give a certain offering, which is for the value of their soul. It was not much money, but it had to be done. They didn't do that. A plague, just like in the law of Moses said it would happen, a plague hit Israel and 70,000 Israelis are killed. The plague is going on. Does this have any relevance to any of us? The plague is going on, and David's trying to figure out what's wrong, and the Lord speaks to him and gives him some instructions because he said, I'm the one that did the wrong. Let's read this. Now the angel of the Lord had commanded Gad, the prophet, to say to David that David should go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word, and when he had spoke, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. That means it's harvest time. Pandemic, harvest time. Judgment, harvest time. You see that? Hello? You got that? All right. He turned, Ornan is threshing wheat, He turned and saw the angel. Now, this angel had killed, just killed 70,000 people, 
and he's standing there with a sword in his hand. That would wake you up if you went to work one day to thresh wheat, and you got an angel standing there like that. He turned and saw the angel. His four sons who were with him hid themselves. That gives you an idea of what the angel looked like. His four sons went away and hid. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David, who was king, and went out from the threshing floor and paid homage to David with his face to the ground. And David said to Ornan, Give me the site of the threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord. Give it to me at its full price that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Ornan said to David, Take it and let my lord, the king, do what seems good to him. See, I give the oxen for burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for wood and wheat for a grain offering. I give it all. But King David said to Ornan, No, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David paid Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. And David built there an altar to the Lord and presented burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord. And the Lord answered him with fire from heaven upon the altar of the burnt offering. Then the Lord commanded the angel to put his sword back in his sheath. And at that time, David saw the Lord had answered him at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. He sacrificed there for the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the wilderness and the altar of burnt offering were at that time in the high place of Gibeon. When the tabernacle of Moses came up into the land, it was at Gibeon. It was not here in Jerusalem. And David could not go there, Gibeon, to inquire before God, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Then David said, Here shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar for the burnt offering of Israel. God is shifting where sacrifices and worship are to happen. From the tabernacle of Moses to what becomes the tabernacle of David. Different locations. But let's just take, let's take a few minutes and look at how this happened. Judgment's happening in the land during harvest time. David said, I'm responsible. He comes up, he builds an altar, he sacrifices on the altar, and the fire of God's presence comes out. It's one of the few places in the Bible where supernatural fire came out and consumed the altar, the offering. So you have a threshing floor, you have an altar, and you have the presence of God. The altar is a place of surrender. It's a place of humility. It's a place of sacrifice. The altar is built on the threshing floor. Some of you got it. The altar is built on the threshing floor. So where the place where you get sorted and sifting are in transition, it's designed to lead you to a fresh place of surrender and offering to God. And when you do, the presence of God comes. You know the amazing thing? God was choosing where he wanted the temple to be built. What a set of circumstances to instruct the king as to where the temple would be built. Judgment in the land. Hello? Judgment in the land. <laughs> Lots of sorting and sifting and transition. 
can't see totally what the future is, can't go back to the past, firmly planted in midair, going up and down, up and down, up and down, fresh surrender, altar. You with me? Then God answers by fire, and David figures it out. This is where God wants the temple to be built. Now, now look at this. When Isaac was offered up by Abraham, it was at this same place on Mount Moriah. The temple was built on Mount Moriah. Guess where Jesus died? Mount Moriah. Same place. Jesus was sorted and sifted in his scourging. It just overwhelms me anytime I think about it pleased the Father to crush him. Putting him to grief is what Isaiah 53 says. So that he might justify the many. Our justification came because he obeyed the Father, yielded to the Father. His altar was his cross. And the fire and presence of God that came at his resurrection raised him from the dead. And now he's seated at the Father's right hand. He went through this process. The disciples went through this process. Think about following a man around for three years. You gave up everything for three years, and you're following him, and, he's, and he keeps telling you he's going to die, but you're like, oh, I, don't, I don't can't figure it out. They couldn't figure it out. And then Jesus gets arrested, and there the disciples' whole world gets turned upside down. One of them betrays him. One of them forsakes Well, a bunch of them forsake for, for, for Jesus. And Peter denied him. That's called sorting and sifting. Jesus is raised from the dead, appears to them, shows them his scars in his hands, his side, and his feet. They, he invites them to touch him where the scars are. Why did he keep the scars? He has a supernatural body that can go through walls. Why would he keep the scars? Because it's part of his identity. That was part of what he used to prove to them he's not just a ghost or a spirit. It's him. When they believed it was him, they came into a fresh place of surrender. Then he sends them. He breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit. Then he commissions them to take the gospel of the kingdom out. Okay? And they surrender. I can get mischievous sometimes, and I feel it coming on right now. <laughs> People pray for unity. You know what united the disciples? They ran out of all their options, decided they would freshly surrender to the Lord. That's what built unity. They weren't united before the cross. They weren't united because of Pentecost. They were united before Pentecost. They were united because they went through their threshing floor. They came to their own fresh surrender. And there's 120 of them that are together seeking God diligently like Jesus told them to. And the fire of God came on them. You see the pattern? Threshing floor. I'm the only one doing it. Threshing floor. Altar. Presence of God. Threshing floor, altar, presence of God. So David has this pattern happen with Ornan's threshing floor. The altar is built 
The place of surrender is built where you're getting sorted and sifted. And when you yield to the Lord, the power and presence of God will come on the very place you got sorted and sifted. How many of you know someone who planned their life and it turned out exactly like they planned it? Look, life is more defined more by the unexpected than by the expected. I used to have hair. It was unexpected. Life is more defined by the unexpected than the expected. I've lived long enough, and my mentor taught me this years and years ago. I've lived long enough to know it's really true. So you can go plan your way and think you know what you're going to be doing, but things are going to happen, and uh, you're going to find some ups and downs. Now, I used to think that the fastest way to get somewhere was just to go straight to that point, and I saw the scientific I don't know if I shared this last time, but I saw the scientist doing this test. He had about a four-foot-long piece of wood with two uh, metal rods and a big ball bearing. And he had two tracks. One track was totally flat, and the other was going up and down like this. And he asked the question before he performs the experiment, the experiment which, ball will, which track will cause the ball to get to the end faster? Well, I'm watching it on YouTube, and I'm thinking, well, of course, it'll be the straight one. You just put it down, you just go straight across. Shortest distance between two points is a straight line, right? Guess which one got the ball there faster? The one that was getting sorted and sifted. The one that's going up and down. Listen, if you're having ups and downs in your life and your heart is toward the Lord... He's actually accelerating you toward your purpose. Doesn't feel like it. But he's accelerating you toward your purpose. It's a sorting and sifting to bring to a fresh surrender your altar to the Lord in order for him to do what he wants to do. Now, I know this is an exciting word. I can just tell it's really exciting. It's really <laughs> Really exciting word. Thinking about getting sorted and sifted. Why did he have to come here and talk about getting sorted and sifted? Because it's a process you're in, whether you like it or not. And if you, listen, one of the things I found when you go through ups and downs, one of the most amazing things that God could do for you is give you a fresh perspective give you a different mindset to look at what you're going through and see it through his eyes. When he does that, even if he doesn't change your circumstances, it gives you a whole new view. It gives you a whole new point of view. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give you a whole new point of view. This stuff I'm talking about, I've lived. The ups and downs are accelerating you toward the purpose. The sorting and sifting is purifying you to position you to a fresh surrender so when you're firmly planted in midair, you can say to the Lord, I can't go back to the past. I don't know how to get to the future. And he'll say, good. Now I have a few things I want to talk to you about. 
I want to help you. I'm getting the mischievous anointing again. <laughs> Do you know God has a Ways and Means Committee? He has a Ways and Means Committee. As, as a uh, wonderful Bible teacher that I know Bob Mumford said many years ago, I heard him say this, God will fix a fix to fix you. That'll be another thing you'll get next Thursday. <laughs> God will fix a fix to fix you. I can't tell if you're meditating or going, oh my gosh, when is he going to be finished? Why does he have to keep talking about all this sifting and sorting and planting in midair? And I don't know what he's talking about. You do. Listen, we go through this same process, threshing floor, altar, presence of God. What did Jesus say to us? Did Jesus say, take up my cross daily and follow me? No. He said, take up your cross daily and follow me. That's an invitation to surrender. Boy, that went all big. I could feel that one. When we surrender to the Lord, we go on the greatest adventure you could ever imagine. Because he loves us with perfect love. He's totally good. He has your best interest at heart. And he's going to take you into the most glorious future and adventure. You just need to follow him. And to follow him, you've got to surrender. So the Ways and Means Committee shows up to help you. How many of you have met the Ways and Means Committee? It's called sorting and sifting. Jesus, I just want to know you better. I just want to know you. I just want to know your power and your presence. Why did all this stuff start happening to me? I just told Jesus I just wanted to follow him. All this stuff starts going sideways. And then this went wrong, and then that went wrong. But then this good thing happened. It's an up and down experience. He's accelerating you. Look, you're not really stuck, even though you feel like it. You're not really stuck. God has you in the palm of his hand, and he's carrying you to an amazing, amazing, wonderful, powerful, transformed, glorious future. And I'm not just talking about heaven. I'm talking about here. He, he is. He's going to empower you. Does God do this process with nations? God do this with nations? Yes. Do you think we're in the experience of that in the United States? Yes. Do you think there's judgment in the United States? So do you think revival's coming? Do you think an outpouring of the Holy Spirit's coming? Do you think it can transform culture? And God starts with us, his body, to change us, because if we'll change and follow him, all kinds of things will start happening around us. 
So I hope this is a, a word that can be practical to you and help you understand. One of the things I pray is, Lord, I don't want to just see your acts. I want to know your ways. I want to know your ways. And this, this is some of, excuse me, the process in the ways that I've learned from the Lord. And it's designed to take you into a place you can fulfill why he made you. So, three takeaways. That's what good preachers do is they have three points. And then they have three takeaways. You heard about the guy who went to church. He'd never been in church before. He had no idea about church. And the, the, they got up. And the choir started singing, and his friend had brought him to church, and he leaned over to his friend, and he said, what, what's that mean? And the friend said, well, see, they're getting up, and they're worshiping, and they're singing. He said, okay, okay. And then in a minute, they started passing the offering. He said, what, what's that mean? He said, well, this is where I take a collection to help with the ministry. Okay. Preacher got up. This is back when they had watches. They wore watches. Some of you younger people don't remember those days. He took out his cell phone and put, <laughs> put it up here. Anyway, he took his watch off and put it up there. And the guy said to his friend, what does that mean? And the church member that brought him there said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> so you have three points for your sermon, three conclusions, and the watch on the po- up here means nothing. Now, for my fourth close, I now want to tell you... No. Now I'm closing. Three things that I hope that you will take out of this. Number one is to have a new perspective on the process of walking with God and to understand the threshing floor, the altar, and the presence of God are connected. Jesus walked through it. The disciples walked through it. We see it in the story of David. And God chooses the place for his presence to dwell in the midst of that process. God brought the fire of his presence on an altar on top of the threshing floor. The second thing I hope that this gives you is when the Lord tugs on your heart for fresh surrender, don't fight him. And here's something I've prayed many times. Sometimes I know God's dealing with me and I'll, I'll, I know he wants me to surrender and I'll, I, I, can, I just have to be honest and say, God, I, I'm just not there. I'm I just not there. And so I'll ask the Lord to make me, I said, God, if you give me grace to be willing, I'll surrender. But sometimes I'm not there. <laughs> A lot of times I've prayed, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing to be obedient. <laughs> he answers that prayer, by the way. So if you're struggling with, man, I feel stuck. I'm in up and down, up and down. I can't figure out what's going on. My heart is toward the Lord. I want to see God move in my life and my family. I have dreams and a future that I know he promised me. Ask the Lord to give you grace. He'll help you to be able to surrender on your cross where you lay down your life to his will. And then his presence can come and take you on an amazing adventure. You can have a fresh visitation of God's presence in your life, in this congregation, in this city, in this region. It can happen. Look, God used James McCready with 20 people, 20 people, 
in Satan's stronghold. And it launched the great awakening that swept the United States. So this is a word of hope. And you're not alone in what you're going through. The devil will tell you you're alone. That's a lie. You're not alone. And the Lord's with you even if you don't feel him or you're not aware of him. He's with you. So, please, please, please focus on the harvest and not on the judgment. Don't live in fear and feed on fear because of what's going on around you or what the media or anybody else says. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Put your trust in Him. Feed on His Word. Feed on His presence. Spend time with Him. Get together with others and pray. Focus on the harvest and not on the judgment and prepare for an outpouring. And pray that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest. If you want to know what Jesus said for us to do in prayer, one of them is the Lord's Prayer. But He also said to pray that the Father would send laborers into the harvest. That's good for us to pray. So what would happen if half of this city suddenly was born again because of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? What if people started walking down sidewalks and the power of God touched them, they came under conviction, nobody even talked to them? That has happened in history many times. It can happen here. God responds to people who are hungry and thirsty. Would you stand with me, please? Could you turn the house lights back up, please? Um, I don't know where each of you are, but I believe that the Lord has a future and a plan for you. You may have been distracted, derailed, felt like your way was blown up. You may feel stuck. You may not know how to go forward. One of the things that I've learned is when God starts something new, he actually turns the light down, not up. In the Bible, when he created the world, the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. So think about this. God starts the day when the sun goes down, not when the sun goes up. Every major event that I can think of in Scripture, or most events in Scripture, happened at night. God cut covenant with Abraham at night, reaffirmed it with Isaac at night, reaffirmed it with Jacob at night. Passover happened at night. Crossing of the Red Sea happened at night. Jesus was born at night. When he was crucified, it turned to night. He was raised from the dead at night. If you can't see as well as you used to, and your heart is still toward the Lord, he's starting something new in you. He's starting something new in you. If it looks like the end to you, you can't see any further. You can go back and have memories, but you can't see any further. And it, you just don't have clarity how to get out of the place of being firmly planted in midair back on track. He's starting something new with you. 
it's actually a beginning. Psalm 23 says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. It's not the valley of death, it just looks like it. You may be facing something that looks like the end. It's not the end. It's not the end. It's not the end until he says it's the end. So I want to encourage you, if you've been believing God for a miracle, like I said at the beginning, you've been looking for some kind of breakthrough, and you're wondering, who's going to do this to make this work? Who's going to roll the stone away? Don't stop and camp out on your questions. Keep moving. Because when you get to the grave, you'll find out God's already rolled the stone away. Okay, so if you'll bow your heads, please, I'm going to close. Is there anyone here this morning that you would say, if I died today, I can't say I'd be going to heaven? I've never really developed a personal relationship with Jesus. Would you raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Okay, thank you. So I see two people's hands, three people. Anyone here feel like you're stuck and you need God's help to move forward once you raise your hand? Okay. All right. I'm going to pray for all of you. First, I'd like to pray for those who raise their hand that want to know Jesus. And I'm going to pray a prayer, if all of you would pray it with me, please. And those of you who raised your hand to know Jesus, if you'll pray this out loud. Father, I come to you. I thank you for your son, Jesus. And I believe that he is the son of God. I believe he is who you say he is. Your only begotten son. And I turn from my way. I ask you to help me change. I ask you to come live in my life. And make Jesus' presence very real to me. Bring me into your kingdom. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want to pray for those who had their hands raised. If you are, feel stuck, Lord, I thank you for your mercy and grace. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that are struggling and feeling stuck in transition. I pray that you would help them, Lord. You would shine the light of your presence on their way that you would help them get unstuck, Lord. You'll help them move forward in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated, and then I wanna say one thing and then we're done. I just wanna pass something on to you that's really helped me, and this is not gonna take long. It'll only be two hours and then I'll be finished. No, just a few minutes. If you feel stuck, or you're struggling one day and you're thinking, I don't feel God's presence. The Bible says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving. That's the first step. So you don't have to feel spiritual to do what I'm telling you. This is very practical. I've taught this in a lot of different places. Jeannie and I live this. It is really practical and very powerful and biblically based. If you start giving thanks to God, that's will begin to come. But you may not feel like giving thanks. 
giving of any kind, thanks or finances or anything, comes out of being grateful. Well, how do you cultivate gratitude? You do it by remembering. You don't have to feel spiritual to remember what God's done for you. You may be going through hell now. I mean, Jeannie and I have gone through some, we've had challenges, not with each other primarily, but just stuff that's happened in life. And I could sit here and tell you and you'd go, oh my gosh, how are you even here? I'm serious. But we could always stop and say, I remember when God found me. I remember when God saved me in this car accident. I remember, I remember when this happened and she was in the hospital for a month with heart surgery and God brought us through and changed her life. In the middle of that, I started remembering what the Lord had done. If you will count your blessings, if you count your blessings, that's faith-oriented, it'll lead to generosity and giving. If you worry, you're counting problems. If you count your blessings, gratitude will begin to well up in your heart because you'll start thinking about what God's done for you and thanks will come out of your mouth. When thanks comes out of your mouth, the presence of God will begin to come. If you thank Him long enough, praise will begin to release. If you thank Him and praise Him long enough, worship will begin to release. So it's very practical, okay? So there's different things for different people here today, but that's for somebody that feels stuck. Here's the anecdote. Here's an accelerator that will help you get unstuck. Start giving thanks. You don't feel like it? Start thinking back and remembering what God's done for you and start counting your blessings instead of counting your problems. You'll be more God conscious and less problem conscious. Okay? Lord bless you. It's great to be with you. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to join us next week for another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yarbrough and One Community Church of El Dorado.